Welcome to the Reynolds Hotbox, a podcast about local media and the future of media from the Reynolds Media Lab. I'm your host, Emily Rodriguez, and my guests here today are Caitlin DeLim and JC Greider. Both study abroad students at the University of Nevada, Reno. JC has joined me in the studio and Caitlin has called in. Caitlin and JC, I've brought you in today to speak on your personal experiences with the study abroad program at the university and how your plans changed with the COVID-19 pandemic. For more context, in 2020 spring semester, students received a variety of emails about whether or not their abroad programs would be canceled. When UNR officially made the announcement that all study abroad program students were to return to the United States, students only had a few days to book flights and return home. Caitlin, what were your initial thoughts when you were called back in from your study abroad program? Ooh, I was really upset. I had spent the previous semester in Korea already, and I didn't really get to go out much because I did have an internship through USAC. So I was really excited to kind of, you know, have a lesser load and kind of do everything I wanted to do in the second semester. And by the time I got that email, I was just really pissed. (laughs) I was really sad that I couldn't actually get to do anything I wanted. And the semester was going to start in the middle of February originally, but then they pushed it back to the beginning of March. And that kind of left me with no option to really complete any semester at all. And I was really behind on my graduation process. And I was just scrambling to get home and get tickets and everything. It was just really hard for me. JC, what was your experience with your study abroad program? Because I think you told me before I hopped onto the podcast that you did get to complete it because you were a student abroad in August 2019. Yeah, so I did get to experience Italy as part of my study abroad experience from August to December. Wonderful, wonderful experience. But as far as, you know, COVID times, I actually had gotten home on December 23rd and within what a few months, I think. Everything started kind of popping up in our news here in the U.S. in February that COVID was something that Europe was experiencing. And immediately I was just, you know, grateful that I got to experience Italy before something like that happened where, you know, I didn't get shut down and I didn't get to miss out on much. But I did have to reach out to friends and family over there and make sure that they were doing okay, which was kind of worrisome. Because especially since Caitlin didn't get to experience the whole program. What was enriching about studying abroad for those, you know, for the listeners who have never, you know, gone out of the United States before? So, so many things. Just experiencing an entirely new culture has so much to offer you as a U.S. citizen because there's just so much out there that we haven't been exposed to yet. In Italy, I got to eat the delicacy of the food, which, you know, we're used to pastas and stuff here and wines, but when you're there, there's a community sense to the food that you're taking in. There's a homegrown sense, and it's it's so much more gratifying to know that my pasta was grown by, like, my neighbor a few yards away. It's enriching because you get to learn about the language that you've never experienced before, and there's just so much more beauty in other places of the world, and I think it's a shame that we don't experience it more. Caitlin, um, kind of building off of JC's comment, like you mentioned you were scrambling. You're, you know, you didn't have as many credits. Your program got cut. From what you did experience, like what was the highlight? How was that study abroad experience enriching for your education? That was honestly one of the best times in my life. And I know it's really cheesy to say that. I know every study abroad kid says that. And it's really hard for me to not acknowledge how beautiful the situation was even post-COVID. Of course, it was kind of hard to kind of think about it. But I think the most enriching moment, you know, just kind of 
getting out of my comfort zone and meeting so many people and pushing myself to just explore this country, kind of like what JC said, experiencing the culture and kind of the community behind food and the language. The language I was already learning prior to studying abroad, but I really am into languages, so it was a really great experience to actually live in Korea and use it every day. I would say, yeah, that was my favorite part. I totally forgot to mention for people listening that Caitlin went to South Korea for her program and she meant to stay through spring 2020. And of course, that was canceled because of COVID-19. Caitlin, so you had to leave. You had literally a few days to book your flight to leave. And the university program here called USAC, they didn't really give you a lot of time. You had to get the information to them. Was it hard to leave? Like, how was it getting flights? I mean, you're by yourself in a different country, you don't have your parents. I mean, you probably, how was the university support? What did that look like? I would say the university did nothing for me. I'm going to be honest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I luckily had my mom's help with finding a ticket. They were only able to reimburse me up to, I think, $500, and I didn't even get that. I definitely had to just shell out like over a thousand bucks to get the quickest flight I could get home. Also, Korean Air, which is the flight I took home, they had a case as well. And that was really stressful because I had already booked my flight. And then that's when I learned that there was a COVID-19 case through Korean Air. And I was like, I can't do this again. And on top of that, I was living off campus. So I had to get my rent back. I had a phone plan that I couldn't get reimbursed for. I had a lot of paperwork that I had to do. I had to close out my foreign bank accounts and everything. And on top of that, I just had to make sure that I was feeling like I left Korea in the happiest way I could. I tried to do everything that I wanted to do, which was really hard. I only had three days to leave. That's when my mom booked the flight, and it was horrible, I do have to say. And then when I did get home, I had to quarantine for 14 days. The university nurse's office had me call in every single day and just be like, yeah, I'm okay. There wasn't actually like a temperature check or anything. I just had to quarantine, and then by the time that 14 days ended, that's when I think the whole of Nevada, at least for Las Vegas, shut down, and my parents got laid off, both of them, oh and gosh. I couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> it really did suck, and then I didn't leave my house till, I would say, May. Just a big domino effect, it sounds like. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I didn't... That's insane. I would have thought there would be more support from the university, especially for students studying abroad. JC, what did kind of getting into the program look like? And it sounds like there's a lot of monetary costs that are not covered by tuition. So what, is, what does that look like? How much are you really spending out of pocket? You know, what does that um, program look like? I would not have been able to go to Italy had I not been eligible for FAFSA. So I'm going to be coming back with some loans from this, but it's a lot of money. And not only that, but like once you're there, you have to pay rent. You have to be able to buy your own groceries. You know, that comes outside of what USAC might have been able to provide you with scholarships or the university through scholarships and FAFSA. But I think people don't realize that it's a lot more work financially than USAC might try to pass it off as, you know, because once you're there, you're going to want to travel. You're going to want to, you know, you are going to buy things. You're going to want to buy food. 
there's just a lot more that goes into it. And the process as far as like paperwork was kind of a lot. I can remember being pretty worried about deadlines as far as getting in like my visas. Um, you have to get a citizenship, like a temporary one, at least for me. I don't know about this for Caitlin, but I had to get a residency while I was living in Italy. And I didn't even get that until two months of living there. Oh, wow. So there's like these legality risks that you're taking when you are going to other countries through the USAC program. That being said, while I loved and appreciated the opportunity to go through USAC to get to Italy, in hindsight, I think I would have rather have done it alone. I think I rather would rather have done it outside of USAC because I don't feel like they made it any easier for me. I didn't feel like the advisors were super good at staying in contact with me. I can remember when one of two of my classes got canceled as I was flying there. So they're like, oh, so your credits are going to change. And I was like, well, I'm going there for these two specific credits as part of my major. If these aren't offered to me, I'm here for nothing, you know, except for experience, which is amazing. But I'm here for school, unfortunately. So right. I have to have that addressed. So at first I was kind of going to school for no reason in Italy. And oh I, my gosh. I was ready to kind of like, well, I'm not going to go to school and I'm just going to live lavishly in this beautiful country. Yeah, I get, I didn't even think that, but like classes, are they on English? Are they in Italian, Korean? What does that look like, JC? For me, my classes were all taught in English. The Italian professors that live in the region, if not, they travel to come and teach us. They're all Italian professors, but um, it's all taught in English, unless, say, you were taking one of the higher end language classes for those who maybe have been learning Italian um, for longer before the program had started, they would take their classes, their language classes in Italian, which was beyond me. I could I could say ciao. And <laughs> was there a huge language barrier you had to go through? Like, especially living there, you said you have to pay rent. Did you have a host home? I lived in an apartment with two other girls from the U.S., but our landlord did not speak a lick of English. Oh so gosh. that made things difficult. We'd have to be like, hey, your shower isn't working. We need you to come fix it. And we just used translator for a little bit until we learned more on how to communicate with him. Language barriers for sure, but um, the Viterbo community is very much used to seeing USAC kiddos come in. It's a very small city, and so a lot of people have learned English over the years, and we were able to communicate with them, but they're also willing to teach you if you don't know how to say things. They're ready to correct you. I don't know about Caitlin's experience. What was yours? Yeah, Caitlin. All of my classes, all of them were taught in English, which was cool, but I will say, like, the one class I took with actual other Korean students was my journalism class, which was cool, just because it's our major. And I didn't expect to take any classes that were going to pertain to my major, so it was kind of a bonus, knowing that I got to have classes that worked towards my degree, so that was nice. While I was the only American kid in my class, there were other foreign kids. I had a few Swedish friends in that class. It was really a diverse group. I was the only American. And we were kind of split up into groups to do projects that we would do weekly. And my whole group was Korean. So sometimes my professor would forget that because I am Asian also. <laughs> and she would just speak to our group in Korean. And I tried my best. And then she'd be like, oh, yeah. And I'm <laughs> so I that forgot. was interesting. Yeah, but I was like, that's fine. I'm like in your country. So why would I ever feel entitled for you guys to speak English? Sure, this is like an English speaking class and whatever, but like, I'm not ever going to feel mad. Yeah, I had a lot of friends who were really interested in teaching me Korean and making sure like I said the right things. And I was really interested in learning because I really just like languages as a whole. You know, I grew up bilingual with English and Tagalog. Then I moved on to like Japanese and now Mandarin and Cantonese. So like, I really enjoyed enjoyed that like language speaking process and oh it was just really fun <laughs> i have a quick question for you caitlin did you feel that there was a better sense of diversity and not only diversity but a diverse community outside of the u.s 
in terms of like in what way? Like in classes and community settings, like I don't know, when I was in Italy, I just felt like I saw more of a variety of different kinds of people being friends and just and not to like speak badly about the U.S., but I just felt like there was this different sense of community outside in different countries that I was traveling to. Like, well, I'd be staying in hostels and I would just meet all these lovely people. And it was so much easier to say I could hop in a car with some guy and it wasn't a safety issue. Like, I felt safer traveling in Europe than I do in the U.S. No, for sure. I definitely felt a thousand percent safer in Korea than I ever would in America. That's for sure. I've definitely done a lot of things. I've hopped into random strangers' cars. <laughs> Which is kind of problematic, but I mean... But over there, just, they, like, they're ready to help you. It's a lot you. safer. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, even walking at home at, like, 3 in the morning as a woman, I would never dream of doing that here, mm-hmm. like, in America. But I would do it constantly in Korea, and I felt very safe. Ditto. Um, but, like, as in diverse groups and everything, it's a hard call to say because Korea is mainly... Um, a lot of people in Korea are Korean. <laughs> right. So you know, expected. <laughs> yeah. But I would say within, like, I think Korean people are really interested, at least millennials and below are really interested in having a more diverse friend group. I think they're really interested in different cultures, how they go about that sometimes, maybe a little iffy. But I think the heart of their interest is pure. For the people who did study abroad, it was kind of a hit or miss. Sometimes they hung out with diverse groups. They were really down to, like, get to know locals and everything, like me and my friend groups were. But there were some people who were kind of, I think they chickened out last minute, and they kind of stuck to the people that they knew, which was really a shame (laughs) to see, because they just were so culture-shocked for the rest of their time abroad that they didn't really want to branch out and get to know new people because they couldn't get out of their own heads. So that's kind of like the whole point. I've never studied abroad, but I've just been really fortunate to be able to travel to multiple different countries because my mom, um, Caitlin's also Filipino, which is cool. Um, And my dad's Puerto Rican. So we love to travel. And I remember I went to Italy and, you know, I felt the same. I think I was traveling with a small group of Americans, though, and I feel like Maybe this is just me, but going back to the whole safety thing, I think the U.S. almost teaches women that we need, that it's unsafe for us to be places. And don't get me wrong, I think, you know, walking, you know, downtown Reno by yourself at like three in the morning may not be the safest choice. But at the same time, I mean, my dad, he tells me all the time, he's like, okay, you have to be safe. You have to be in this thing called condition yellow. And like, you always have to be aware. And maybe they just don't like teach that or it's not as big of a concern in Europe, right? Because I feel like there's a lot more solo females traveling in Europe than there would be in the U.S. That'd be safe to say, JC. I think there's a couple different factors that go into it, but I I think that's definitely, you know, something that could be a part of it where there's almost this greater sense of independence in European countries where the younger generations, people are our age in their 20s, even 18 year olds, like they're starting travels way sooner in Europe. And, you know, it's easier to get around in Europe too compared to the US. You know, it takes how many hours to get places and days to travel across the US, where in Europe, it took me living in the center of Italy. It took me four hours to get to Venice. It took me two hours by plane ride to get to like Switzerland, I think. People over there are exposed to so much more so much sooner than I think the U.S. is. And I think that's why our safety concerns here are a little bit greater because we are so much more sheltered. We're over there. They're already out there experiencing a lot of the world before we do. True. Uh, Caitlin, what do you think about that? Like, 
maybe the U.S. kind of, I mean, we're a huge country. Like I remember traveling across the U.S. to help my brother move. I mean, it took us six days, <laughs> whereas in six days, you could probably visit half of Europe. <laughs> so Caitlin, I mean, what do you think about that? I will say like I have seen some kind of like problematic results as of at least specifically some Europeans I've met that have kind of been able to travel around a lot because I feel like then there's like this sense of like entitlement and the sense of they don't really appreciate the culture. They're kind of just collecting these flags of like, oh, I've been to this country, I've been to these places and not really understand why they're there and what they're doing. But for Asia, I will say, yeah, it's pretty easy to get around. The flight to Tokyo from Seoul was, I would say it's like not even anything over two hours, which is wild. That's a completely different culture and it's just so close. The train from Seoul to Busan, which is like the south of South Korea, that's no more than two hours. I have a lot of friends who were able to go to Vietnam and Taiwan and all these places relatively cheap and in a really quick travel time. I only got to go to Tokyo. Again, I didn't have as much time as I wanted to abroad, but I think having the opportunity to travel to different countries so easily has really opened my mind especially because I grew up kind of like dual cultures it kind of further pushed this like there's so many cultures out there and it's like so beautiful the way we all meld together and you can see little ways in which these two very stark different cultures are actually very similar but also very different and unique in their own way and I know I'm, I'm talking in circles but I mean it's just <laughs> such a beautiful concept to like wrap your head around truly and I just it's so sad to me that there are people who don't want to travel because they're stifled by this mindset that you can't and they're stuck in their towns they're stuck in their cities and ultimately you know the ideologies that their families are raising them it's like a lot of especially like nationalist ideas of like America's the best they have no yearning to go anywhere because they think they're already at the peak of their existence and they're just not enough to fall I mean you couldn't have said it any better I totally agree with you there Caitlin um speaking of like traveling we'll go ahead and get into the end of this but Caitlin I know you said you wanted to go back to Korea you wanted to go maybe explore Japan China um what is the future for you know travel abroad look like for you and of course I'll ask you know JC the same question but yeah what does the future of travel look like for you Caitlin Right now, me and one of my best friends that I actually met abroad, we're working on getting our English teaching certification because that's kind of the easiest way you can kind of live abroad with some money and have yeah. a easy job. Um, so hopefully in the next year, hopefully COVID is gone from my life, everyone's lives, but we'll see. Um, yeah. we, we would like to be back in Seoul. We've been looking for teaching positions. There's a lot of kindergartens that are open to American teachers. So that's going to be really exciting. And um, yeah, I'm really interested in kind of traveling to different parts of Japan as well. I'm really interested in Osaka and Sapporo, which is like the north and south regions. I'm really interested in mainland China, but I'm really excited to go to Taiwan and Hong Kong and Macau. I think those are my three spots, especially I've been learning way more Cantonese. I mean, not for Taiwan, but like for Hong Kong and Macau, I've been learning way more Cantonese. And then Macau is kind of like, you can equate it to like the Las Vegas of Asia, which is interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that would be really cool to explore. But in general, I just like to travel. I haven't been to Europe at all, and I'd really be interested in going to like Eastern Europe specifically. I think that doesn't get enough hype. And then 
especially also throughout the states. I haven't been to a lot of states, and I'd be really interested to kind of see the different subsections of America. Yeah, I would say I've been to a lot of Europe, Switzerland, Italy, France, the UK, and then I've been to South America, and I really liked Panama and Costa Rica, but I've never been to Asia, and I think that's definitely Asia and India. I would love to go to India. I think their culture is so beautiful, and their food is amazing. I mean, it's just not the same. Indian food in Reno versus Indian food in India, obviously. (laughs) Um, JC, Mm -hmm. what are the futures for your travel plans? I mean, I know the pandemic sucks, but... The pandemic makes things very difficult. <laughs> the next goal I would say that's coming up pretty soon is, you know, we're I'm set to graduate this May and I'm planning on renovating my own little van or car or something. Yes, van life. Yes. <laughs> I don't I'm totally okay with traveling by myself. So I'm gonna tour the US for a little bit until it's safer to travel outside the US. And my goal is to hit all seven continents. Gen genuinely, yeah. I wanna go everywhere. I wanna experience everything, everything everything that I can. There's just so much beauty out there and I think we all deserve to get pieces of it. I think we're all in good spots too, because journalism we can pretty much take that anywhere. So I'm glad the, the degree is so diverse because, I mean, there's probably some parts of it where you're sitting in an office. At the top of my head, I don't think my first position would be an editor because I love to travel as well. I think travel journalism is like my goal. I think audio and travel journalism would be awesome too, but I'm excited for both of you. I'll, obviously, congratulations, you too. JC, on graduating. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. How was your guys' time in the, the rental top box? It's been fun, honestly. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to go over some of our memories and talk about hardships. You know, it's always good to get all of this communication out there and speak on how we feel. Now I think there's a bright future, you know. There's a lot of hope to be found still, despite this pandemic. Yeah, Caitlin, how was your time in the hot box? Very fun. I mean, I'm great at talking in circles, as you might have heard. <laughs> but I mean, it was really nice to kind of talk about my experience and kind of these are things I really wish I knew before going abroad. And I think, yeah, kind of what JC touched on earlier, abroad programs like this, they don't really, I don't think they prepare you as much as you need to. And I think hearing from actual students can be a really helpful way to kind of push you and nourish you and enrich kind of your experience if you do hope to go abroad. Definitely, definitely. Um, It's been such a pleasure hosting you guys on the Rental Top Box. Again, we are the Rental Top Box, a podcast about local media and the future of media from the Reynolds Media Lab.